Hello, welcome to episode number 593 of the Handgun World Podcast. I'm Bob Main, your host, a practical show done by a practical guy. This show is brought to you by Keeper's Concealment, the leading authority on appendix carry holsters. Check them out, and they are also a affiliate of CCW Safe concealed carry legal protection you must have if you're going to be carrying a gun also want to remind you june 4th there's still some spots left for the class that ben and i are teaching uh, beyond concealed carry one day class i think you're going to like it get signed up go to handgunworld.com you'll see a link there for the class that i'm teaching with ben branham in houston June 4th. So this week, John Payne, a instructor for Suarez International, and he's got another profession going on, which he's going to talk about. He joins me. This was an excellent interview. And the primary takeaway from this interview is, you're going to find out, but it's the title of this episode. It is easier to train a fighter to shoot than it is to train a shooter to fight. And that's going to be, that's going to stand out, I'm sure, in this episode. So let's get right into it. My guest, John Payne. Well, my special guest is John Payne. And John, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back, Bob. I don't know how special I am, but I I tell you, I sure enjoy our conversations, and I enjoy doing these shows with you. I do, too. And, you know, I'm not quite sure how to introduce you this time, because in the past, I've introduced you as a law enforcement officer, an instructor at Suarez International. um, But you also, people need to know that have heard you before, that you're also in the pawn shop business. I'm a pawnbroker, Bob. It, it, yeah. It's really neat. Um, you and I discussed before about my, my last name, about the family name of Payne. Yeah. And, and where it came from. And uh, one of the first of our bloodline was Hughes de Payon, uh, French. And he was the first grand master and co founder of the Knights Templar. Ah. Uh. Which uh, the Knights Templar. The first, the first version of international banking. Uh huh. So how uh, ironic is it that uh, the family bloodline that that I'm in a banking style business? That is uh, quite interesting. So you're you're a pawnbroker. You are still teaching for Suarez International, right? Yes, I am. And I'm going to ask you about a recent class, and then. Now, what's going on with your law enforcement career? Uh, my law enforcement career is on hold. I am a, a master peace officer in Santa Texas. I was a military police officer through uh, the Air Force prior to that. I was okay. uh, sec- security forces, as, as you're well aware. I was a security specialist, then a law enforcement specialist, and then combat arms, uh, which eventually all fell under the same umbrella. But there's there's four branches of that career field one time with being security, law enforcement, uh, combat arms, and canine. And the only one that I did not do was canine, but I did supervise some canine troops. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for that background. Uh, So I wanted to bring you on this episode because you uh, are also, or either current or former, you'll have to tell me which, a Texas licensed to carry instructor. I've kept that certification current. Uh, okay. There still are a few people that uh, want to get their license to carry, and I don't uh, discourage anyone from doing so. But I was one of the licensed carry instructors that fully supported and voted for uh, permitless carry, as the DPS calls it. The rest of the world calls it constitutional carry. Um, I, I still my belief that 
that's the way that it should be. Um, yeah. So, so let me ask you about that, because for those who don't know, on September 1st of last year, I think Texas became either the 21st or 22nd state. I believe we now have 26 states that are constitutional carry. Half of the states in America are, are constitutional carry now, and uh, that's what I'm going to call it, because I think that's what it really is. How did that, how did it impact your your uh, concealed carry classes. It pretty much ended the monthly classes, which I I knew ahead of time that that was going to happen. Um, at any given time in the past, uh, I like to keep my classes small. Uh, I would do, uh, depending anywhere from 10 to a maximum of 20 students for a license to carry class. And, uh, one of the reasons I kept it the size that I did is for the flow of information. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I knew as soon as, uh, that, that occurred that it did pass, that that would probably be coming to an end. Now there's still some people that are doing it. They're combining a license to carry class with information on, uh, constitutional carry included in the class. Good. Uh, That's good. Well, my only issue with that is that you know you have a set number of hours to teach the license to carry program. Mm-hmm. The DPS was adamant that you know the the permitless carry, the constitutional carry, was not part of the class. But some instructors are probably choosing to do it anyway. That, well, yes, because now uh, what what are the requirements now? A minimum of four, maximum of six hours. When I started. Mm-hmm teaching that program is a minimum of 10 hours, maximum of 16. Wow. <laughs> so, what a change. So that that's a, a huge uh, reduction in class hours. And I think we've we had some of these discussions before. What the state didn't tell folks, though, is that in the past, your range time counted as training time. Yeah. Your, your range time counted back when it was 10 hours, maximum of 16 your range hours were considered training hours. And now they're yeah. not. Yeah, now they're not. Well, I have to say, I very much commend you and respect you for being one of the licensed to carry instructors that supported the constitutional carry bill and, and its ultimate passing. So, so one of my first questions to you is because of that, and you said it almost pretty much decimated or wiped out your, your attendance um, and I'm sure a uh, an income for you. Why, first of all, why still today do you encourage them to get their license? I'd like to hear that because I do too. I encourage people to get it, but why do you? Uh, the the primary reason I still encourage a license to carry is reciprocity. Yes. That that to me is the huge the huge issue is reciprocity. Um. I haven't checked it in a, in a few months, but the last time I did, uh, there were 33 states that recognized a Texas license to carry. Yeah, that's awesome. I would like to add much easier to purchase firearms, too. It does make it easier because your, your background check's already done. Yes. Uh, as long as you are using an FFL that knows what they are doing. Um, I have had issue with, with big box stores. Yeah, not recognizing the Texas license to carry and that separate line on that ATF form 4473 that says no niche check is required because the individual has a license issued by the state they reside in. Uh, Which means in order for you to to uh, have your background check verified by your license to carry in Texas, you have to have a Texas license to carry. Right. Now, that's a big benefit. I, I will point out that I don't believe that every state in America that has a uh, license to carry, I don't believe that every state allows you to skip the next background check, but well, Texas does. My understanding is that not every state that issues a permit has the status of an alternate NICS permit. Ah, okay. Texas does. 
Well, and I want to point out to people, because I have listeners from everywhere, all 50 states, other countries, everything. Uh, I've been I've been blessed to get that many listeners, and it's it's not all me. It's because of good guests like you. But I want to point out to people that the amount of background checks that we have to get to get a license to carry far outweighs any NICS check, does it not? It does. It, it does so, indeed. I yeah. mean, quite honestly, you can, in Texas, you can legally own a firearm and still not be eligible to get a license to carry because of different misdemeanor offenses. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Okay, so the threshold is far less to be able to buy a gun than it is to get a license to carry. True. Um, and the last time I checked, and you can use any different methods uh, of research, whether it be Google or whatever search engine, um, but the last time I checked, license to carry holders in the state of Texas commit less offenses than peace officers. I think that's true in any state where they have a license to carry. Um, and I, I think it's really good that you pointed out reciprocity. You know, as people are starting to get somewhat closer to normal and traveling, traveling a little bit more than they did the past couple of years, reciprocity is a big deal. I think it's a huge deal. And on top of that, uh, just different areas of town, different businesses. I've seen the new three zero point zero five signs. Yeah. Uh, that basically mean they don't want someone entering that's carrying under constitutional carry. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen more 30 out five or yeah, three zero point zero five signs and three zero point zero seven signs. than the, and I'll just say it the way we always do, the 30-06 signs. I'm seeing, yeah. I'm seeing fewer and fewer 30-06 signs. I uh, have not seen one single 30-05 sign. I haven't seen them. I've seen plenty 30-07s. For listeners' benefit, 30.07 means no open carry. 30.06 means no carry of any kind. And 30.05 means no permitless carry. Right. The way I always explain it to students was 30-06 applied to licensed concealed carry, 30-07 applied to licensed open carry, yeah, and 30-05 or 30.05 or however you want to pronounce it uh, applies to uh, permitless carry and also applies to the uh, location-restricted knife. Yeah, and what John is talking about here is that in Texas, signs have the force of law. They are considered to be effective notice. Yes, yes. In some states, they're not. In some states, they're useless. Correct. But in Texas, if if a business or any establishment really wants to put up one of those signs, then they can, and, and in my opinion is a, a bad move, but they can declare their premises a gun-free zone to the extent that they wish. Yeah, here's another, uh, another wrench in the program. I fully support an individual's rights, a business owner's rights, to post whatever sign that they want. Sure. Um, that is their property, that's their business, Fine. That also says that if I go to a business that has a 30-06 sign, I can say, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to do business there. You can. That's your right. And, and I'm, I'm uh, completely okay with that. I, I don't there's, – there's people that want to do away with those rights of the property owners. I don't want to do that. I'm a, I am a staunch <coughs> believer in property rights – in private property, it, 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 people get confused. You have a public place, you have public property, and you have private property. Private mm-hmm. property can be a public place. Yes, it can. But you can be trespassed warned from private property that's a public place. 
used to handle those kind of situations all the time for different grocery stores, department stores, uh, what have you. If they have a problem with an individual, they could have them trespass warned because that was private property. Um, so it, it can open a can of worms, but I still, I, I'm 100% beside, 100% behind property rights. Would you consider a grocery store a private property in a public place? Yes. Well, people don't have to shop at that grocery store. No, they don't. And, and that, that grocery store is owned by someone or by some entity. Or a corporation, yeah, but how can you call it a public place when people don't are not forced to go there? Well, it's still a public place. I mean, you can have someone inside of a grocery okay. store that's intoxicated to the point to where they're a danger to themselves or others, and they'd be arrested for public intoxication. I see where you're going with be, that. Because okay. it, it meets the culpable, culpable mental states and the elements of a crime. I see what you I see what you mean. Yeah, I would also consider um, a an employer. Some employers I would consider public places. Well, sure, and, and people get confused on that too. Uh, you have say you have a business, and that business posts up thirty out six, thirty out seven signs. Right. Okay. Those signs are not for employees. Those signs are for the public. Correct. If does not want to post those signs, but only wants to restrict their employees from carrying firearms on their property, they simply can tell them, put it in the policy manual, what have you, has right. nothing to do with 30-06, Right. Right. They can, they can declare a, a gun-free zone two different ways. They can declare it from the public, and they can declare it with their employees or both. But see, I have, I've always had, and I, you may disagree, and other listeners may disagree. I don't care. I like disagreements. But I've always thought that certain public places, uh, even though I favor property rights like you, I believe they're, they're huge infringements on people's Second Amendment rights. I don't know if I agree with you there, Bob. Well, I know. I know. And, I said, and, you, I said and, you probably wouldn't. And it's kind of like the whole argument right now over social media on free free speech. When you join a social media platform, you are agreeing to their rules. Right. Whether you like them or not, you're agreeing to them. Right. And, you know, uh, it looks like some platforms – uh, lean heavily towards one side of the fence or the other, mm-hmm. and, and people get really wound up over it. Uh, and I, I don't know what the answer is when it comes to that because I can see both sides of the argument. Um, try try running a business without having a social media presence. Yeah, that's that's yeah, you can't do that anymore. But I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Okay, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, as you know, here in South Texas, we have very large grocery store chain, H-E-B. And we don't have to shop at H-E-B. There's other stores. I mean, we could go to Walmart. We could go to Whole Foods. We could go to almost any store we want to. But H-E-B, I would say, is a public place. It's a it's a private property. It's a, it's a privately owned uh, grocery store owned by the H-E-B Corporation. But if they want to and do ban uh, open carry in there, for example. Uh, and if they wanted to put a 30-06 sign up and ban concealed carry, I don't think, I don't believe I've seen one in an HEB. Um, there's only a limited number of grocery stores that we can go to. And what if they all put up 30-06 signs? Then what? Then you have your uh, groceries delivered at the parking lot? Yeah. And that's our only choice, but I think that's a Second Amendment infringement. I, I believe it is, because now we are forced in that situation to have uh, our groceries delivered either the curbside or to our house. And I think there comes a point, in my opinion, there comes a point where gun-free zones can be carried way too far. Well, not only can, but have. <laughs> 
Right. Yes, they they have. And I think even though property rights are important, and I highly, I'm a, I'm just like you, I'm a big fan of property rights. I I believe that sometimes they can be carried way too far. I tell you what, I'll give you an example. Okay, I'll give you another example. What if HEB, see HEB has the right right now to put up any sign they want and and stop people from carrying in their store. What if all of a sudden they said, we don't want Jews shopping in our store? What do you think would happen? Uh, there'd be some outrage over that. So why can they not infringe on the freedom of religion in the First Amendment, but they can infringe on the Second Amendment? Okay, so we're going by uh, choosing to be a Jew instead of being born a Jew, is that right? Either one. I don't care. Well, I mean, I, I had no choice in what ethnicity I was born into. Okay, so that's a bad that's a bad example. Okay, uh, no African Americans can shop in our store. What if they said that? Once again, you're you're getting into something that nobody had any choice in in what ethnicity they were born into. That is um, true, but what that means and, is it means, so, you know, the Constitution says you can't you can't infringe based on race like that. Why are they allowed to infringe on the Second Amendment? Why are they? I mean, why did that uh, baker end up winning his lawsuit about the the uh, the wedding cake? Yeah, I, yeah, and I, you're right. That's true. I'm just, I'm just pointing out the hypocrisy of it all. Is all I'm doing. Oh, if you're looking for hypocrisy, we, you can paint with a broad brush because there's a lot of that going around. Yeah, I, that, that's all I'm doing. I'm not saying it should be one way or the other because if I owned a grocery store and if I vehemently felt that I didn't want people carrying guns in my store, I would say I have the right to do that because I own the darn place. Um, it's just that I think all this stuff can can and does, in a lot of situations, get carried too far. It often does, and nothing is, is as simple as we like it to be. No. Uh, every, every decision you make has some type of ramification. Um, yeah. To, I just to, wish the – go ahead. The most popular barbecue joints in the whole entire state both have 30-7 signs posted. Well, that just means people can't open carry. Exactly. And, I mean, so do we have a problem with a property owner saying, hey, I've got no problem with you having your firearm. We just don't want our customers to see it. Is that okay? That's okay, and I'll tell you why. Because the barbecue joint is still allowing you to protect yourself if some kind of bad stuff goes down inside their restaurant. But somebody that's – some business owner that says you cannot carry, period – then they need to provide me a good level of security while I'm in their store. And if they don't, I don't think that's fair to me. I don't think it is either. I also have a hard time understanding how the state decided that once I enter a school building, that unless I have written permission of the superintendent school board, uh, that simply being there with my license to carry, I can't carry my firearm to a school function or inside the school. Right. What if you need to go pick up your child? Now, no, no, here, you, no, no, you brought up a great picking example. Picking up the child, that's completely different because the, the – um, they not apply to their parking lots. No, sometimes you have to go in the school to get your child. It, if you have to go in the way the statute is now, you've got to secure your firearm in the vehicle before you go inside. That's not right. Okay. My question is, what is it about that building – Completely takes away right to self-defense by entering it. I don't know. What is it? <laughs> That's a good question. Okay. Because if they're worried about the safety of the children, well, it's, it's not a license to carry individual. You have to worry about your safety from. Correct. Because you mentioned in the beginning of this show that they commit less crimes than peace officers. So. Right? It, 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 yes. So. So the cop going to pick up his son or daughter at school and in uniform carrying his gun inside the school, he's okay, but you and I, 
or you, you're a cop, and I should, I'll exclude, no, I'm exclude a you. Former, I'm a former police. Former cop. So we, so it's not okay for us. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the whole ridiculous. So again, I want to make it very clear to people listening before people start blowing up my uh, my email inbox. I am not against property rights. I am against property owners carrying it way too far with no good reason. And even that's their right. I'm against it. And I'm not saying that the government should prevent them from doing that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying uh, I think that people that that ban uh, carrying of guns and, and carry it too far, I think they're idiots. That's all. I, I tend to agree. And and how much you want to bet that some of these property owners that do this? Oh, they'll carry. They'll 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 carry. It's, there's no problem with that. They'll go all kinds of places and and carry their gun. Well, Bob, you have to go back understand that some of the people that are just totally anti-gun anti-self-defense that that's for you and for me that's not for them not for them (laughs) rules for thee but not for me yes that's the way that they are okay well we've we've beat up this topic uh quite a bit um Let's shift gears a little bit. So in your in your pawn shop, you sell guns. I do sell firearms. And sell. what have you what have you been selling a lot of, or what do you get people asking for quite often? Uh, the the number one uh, asked for or sold handgun is normally some type of Glock, and if it's not a Glock. It will be one of the classic revolvers made by Smith & Wesson or Colt. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that says Colt is desirable. Okay. Um, the Smith & Wesson revolvers that were so out of style in the 90s are very desirable now. Ah, interesting. Just like uh, that little K-frame you tried to buy from me. Yeah. <laughs> Super desirable. You wouldn't sell it. <laughs> and it still won't. Um, <laughs> that's true. Oh, well, that's a nice gun. Um, but uh, I like it, it. It, 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 it's really, it, it's it's neat. Um, here a while back, I took in a pre-Model 10 uh, long-action military and police 38 Special with a 5-inch barrel. Um, yeah. And uh, it was a little bit different than some others because of the age and whatnot, but it also was a factory round butt with a five-inch barrel. Ah. Uh, the stocks on that revolver were worth almost as much as the revolver. <laughs> That's interesting. And it lasted a day. A day. Hmm. Day. And, you know, with, you know for any of your, your listeners, if you have one of those older Five screw, what became the K frame, military and police mm-hmm. revolvers. Please, 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 only shoot standard pressure loads in those old guns. Ah, uh, good point. The metallurgy and the heat treating of yesteryear are not the same as they are now. No, they're not. Um, My brother has a detective special. And I, it's an old one, and I believe that that he can only shoot standard pressure through it. The Detective Special was incredibly robust, even for the time period that it was made. Uh, Colt mm-hmm. did release some information about about the Detective Specials and what loads they could handle and how often they should be serviced by an armorer after how many rounds and all that stuff. And I couldn't tell you the stats off the yeah. top of my head. But they were always uh, just a little bit stronger than the uh, Chief Special. Uh, okay. So in your store, Glock sells well. Glock 9 millimeters. I'm, I'm most probably. Glock, Glock sell well in 9 millimeter, in 10 yeah. millimeter, and 45. 40, 40 still has a following. Yeah, um, you still. Uh, what about 1911s? You sell in 1911s? 1911s, I don't see a whole lot of 1911s. Okay. Um, 
but uh, I, I do see a few, and uh, and and some of them do quite well. Um, okay. Especially if it's got a horsey on it. Uh huh. Yeah. If, uh-huh. if it's a if it's a Colt 1911, it's desirable. It's Period. desirable. So if somebody, so when people bring guns into your shop to pawn or sell, uh, what are you seeing a lot? Uh, I see. Uh, as far as getting loans on Glocks, on mm-hmm. uh, Rugers, on on some Taurus pistols, mm-hmm. on uh, I, I saw one here a while back that I was surprised I hadn't seen one since about 1996. Um, I, I saw a Mitchell Arms 1911 Gold Series. Oh, interesting. Uh, Mitchell, I believe. Uh, at one point had bought out high standard. I've never seen a Mitchell. No, never seen it. Um, and uh, I believe they were based out of Houston, but don't quote me on that, even though oh, okay. I'm saying this on a recorded line that's going on a podcast. Um, <laughs> but they, they made some very interesting uh, designs that were originally pioneered by high standard. Uh, the, uh, the 22 okay. semi-automatics, the, uh, the 1911s and some and some other things, um, uh-huh. but a very very interesting 1911 that they they put a lot of, of work into it. It was it was meant to be the equivalent of a of a Colt Gold Cup. Okay, I see a few pythons here and there. Um, I have shot the new pythons and the new anaconda. Hey, what do you uh, think of those? Uh, I think they've got the bugs worked out of them, uh, and the initial bugs were just ever so slight, but how they got out, I, I, I don't understand. The Anaconda, the new version, uh, to me, runs circles around the ones that I shot back in the 90s. Okay. Uh, the, the action of those pistols is just superb. The balance is superb. It actually feels like an enlarged python. Yeah, very the, interesting. The, the lines, the action, everything. When you look at the older Anacondas, they were kind of a beefed up uh, trooper mm-hmm. or, a, or a beefed up King Cobra. The, the, I believe it was Mark V uh, trooper action, uh, which was, had, a, had a heck of a hammer throw. I mean, and I don't care what kind of primers you're using, that gun would set them off. But because of that, it also had a a harder yet shorter trigger. Yeah. Um, the new anacondas have, have got the longer trigger press of the pythons and smooth all the way through. It, it was a very enjoyable to shoot. Very enjoyable. Cool. That's pretty good. Well, uh, thanks for the little summary there about guns coming in and out of your shop. One last quick question. And, and I think that will give us some good subject matter is, uh, you recently had a CRG2 class, didn't you? Yes, I did. It was full. And for people who may not know, that's Suarez International's close-range gunfighting uh, number two class. I've taken it and taught it several times, and uh, it was full. That's good to hear. Yes, CRG2, close-range gunfighting, is a class that you can take over and over and not feel like you're missing out on something or you're wasting your time. Because there's always something that you can improve on in that class. Oh, absolutely. With, uh, with it being an intermediate class, that class is the the foundation of the Suarez Doctrine. Mm-hmm. It is. And so that, that's why that class is, is so important. Uh, I know that uh, some folks believe that a, a fast draw is that all, you know, fast draw and accuracy is all that you need. And, no, uh, it's not. And, and, and that class helps to, to debunk that myth that a fast draw and uh, accuracy is that all that you need. Accuracy, when it comes to fighting with your gun, it, is really not as important in the close-range realm, as, as some folks like to believe it is. Oh, boy, you just said something controversial there. I didn't mean to be controversial. I meant to state it as fact. <laughs> it is um, fact. It is fact. Um, but there's a lot of people that, that don't want to believe that. 
Well, that's fine. They, they can not believe it all they want to. There's some things that are, that are more fun for some folks and more gratifying. It, it, it's fun to stand 10 yards from your target and punch nice little clean holes in a tight group in your target and look at how good that you did. That's a self-gratifying type situation. Yes. But it, it doesn't really speak to your ability to fight with the gun at all. No, it doesn't. And, and Gabe said something very interesting a few days ago, and uh, I, I can't say that he invented the, the phrase. He may have. I don't know. I, I do know that my buddy Gabe is, is, a, is a very intelligent individual, but he, he said something that I thought was profound simple at the same time. It's kind of funny how that works out. Some of the most important things that you say can be simple. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and. Yeah. And one of the things that he said that resonated with me is it is easier to teach a fighter to shoot than it is to teach a shooter to fight. Very good. Very good. I like that. You know, a lot of our program, uh, he, he jokingly told me years ago about one of the, the range managers pulling up to one of his classes on the, on the classic golf cart and yelling at him, no karate on the range. <laughs> okay. Uh, but our, our discipline uh, of close range gunfighting is a martial art. It is. I'm going to repeat that again. It's easier to teach a fighter to shoot than it is to teach a shooter to fight. That is good stuff. You know, uh, I. Uh, that is good. So true. I was raised with an extensive martial arts background. Mm -hmm. It's something that that uh, you know I was kind of rambunctious as a child. There was no lake too deep, no tree too high, uh, no no ditch too wide that couldn't be jumped. And my mother decided early on that you know her son needed some discipline uh, because I would fight anybody, anytime, anywhere. Very little provocation. Moms don't like that. No, no, but but mom learned how to channel that. <laughs> and uh, and I still there's there's things that that as adults we 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 struggle with, and and that's one of the things that I struggle with is making sure that I'm not in, in a situation or don't make a situation worse that comes into a physical altercation. I have a, a yeah. hard time uh, ha having a career of being in charge. You know, um, makes it difficult to um, tell somebody else. You know what? Okay, fine. Wh whatever that is, whatever I'm, I'm backing out. Um, yeah. I always, I always want to win. Yeah, you always want to win. Well, and a lot of people are like that. But you, you have to, at some point, your intellectual brain has to override the lizard brain. Yes. And understand part of being an adult is doing the right thing when you don't want to do the right thing. Yeah, that's when, correct. Even when doing the right thing may cause you a moment of temporary, of temporary embarrassment, what have you. The worst thing that you can do to me is try to embarrass me in front of my wife. Right. Well, okay. I and, gotta, that's a hard pill to swallow. It is um, for anybody. It is. You know, and, and I'd be willing to wager there's a certain point to where with me, it would be for me to spend a night in jail and pay my bond money and go see a judge than it would to let someone get away with an insult. I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't answer that insult. Yeah, well, that's a good. I, I understand what you mean, and I'm I'm not like that, but but a lot of people are. I want to rewind for a minute. I think it's important for people to realize that we call this art gun fighting. We don't really call it gun shooting. Absolutely, which is a word I hate to use all the time, Bob. What? I used I used absolutely. That's the first time I've used absolutely in your show. <laughs> I don't know how long, but that's uh, okay. You only did it once this episode. That's fine. Oh, well, it's, yeah, only once, but it's it, it's it, absolutely it, okay for you to do that, John. 
you know, there, there are very few things that I would sacrifice my freedom over. Very few. And I've always uh, taken pride in being the quote-unquote good guy. The mm-hmm. knight in shining armor, the white hat, what have you. Um, but, you know, there, there are certain things that I will not tolerate. Well, you have boundaries. That's okay. Uh, and I, I do my dangest not to be in a situation where something like that may happen. There's places that I don't go because of the way people act in those places. Yeah, and even if you go someplace where you feel people are going to act appropriately and they don't, I'll share something with you and get your opinion on it that an old mentor taught me way a long time ago, too long ago, when I was in my 20s. He said, Bob, you have to teach people how to treat you. I can't disagree with that at all. Yeah, and I, you know, and that's, it's hard to do that. But sometimes teaching people how to treat you involves a little bit of confrontation occasionally. It does, and confrontation is not something that I necessarily shy away from. It doesn't have to be violent conf- confrontation, No, it does, it does not, but some people don't know the difference. Some don't, and they have to be taught how to treat you. And we do have generations of people now that, you know, back when I was in school, if you had a problem with somebody, you might have it out with them. <laughs> Me too. And, you know, uh, b- behind behind the gym, after school, whatever. Wherever. And, and, and you would... You know, given that physical altercation, and when it was over, it was over. You may end up being at their birthday party the next week, and everything being fine. But 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 <laughs> right. now we're in a situation, or in times that kids can't do that. I have, no, they I have can't. seen called on twelve year olds for having fisticuffs at school. Mm. And, you know, we have school police officers now. We have an overloaded juvenile justice system. When I was younger, the coach would throw gloves on you and tell you, you don't stop until I tell you you're done. And when he was ready for you to be done, you didn't want to put those gloves on ever again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So CRG2, getting back to that. So CRG2 is about gun fighting, not gun shooting. It's about gun fighting. It's about Manipulations, reactive manipulations. It's about shooting on the move. It's about accessing on the move, immediate action on the move, uh, using cover, uh, 360-degree after-action assessments, uh, 360-degree threats. It, it's it's a very uh, a very nice program that was put together uh, by by Gabe and his and his top instructors, and it it. Uh, it works so well. I taught that course uh, through the sheriff's office for a couple of years, and I, I had one officer that had had thirty years on the street. And it—you've uh, been in professional education before, in mm-hmm. in upgrade training, what have you. And, and you know when it when it's a sanctioned, licensed. At the end of class, you have your evaluations, and the students have to fill evaluations. Mm-hmm. And majority of the time, they just circle a number all the way down, a good job, and that's it. Um, I had three of the students. One of them had 30 years on the street at the time. Right in their evaluation, don't know why in the last 30 years nobody ever taught me this life. How about how about that? How about that? That's good stuff. That was great stuff. You talk about my head swelling up so big I couldn't get through the door. That's a <laughs> that is a great comment. So, are you going to be teaching any more CRG two classes this year? Not this year. Uh, okay. Um, I, I may teach one more class this year. I haven't uh, nailed it down yet. If I can do it, you know, uh, when you're a business owner. Uh, a lot of your time and effort goes into running that business because it never, even though you have certain hours that you're open, it yeah. never stops. No, and, it doesn't. And, and, and right now, I'm running, I'm actually physically in my shop six days a week. Yeah. 
Yeah, you don't so, have. And so that time. does that takes some time away from me being able to do some of the other things that I want to do, and and it, it's it's a just like anything else in life, it's a balancing act. Yeah, it is. Well, I want to say this to people listening: find a Suarez International CRG two class, buy the ammo, pay the fee, and get your butt to that class because it is. It'll change your life regarding carrying a gun. I have taken it twice, both times as you as an instructor, and I've taught that class twice. And it is a a must class, in my opinion. It's one of the classes that you put in a minimal effort, you're going to get out of it more than you put in. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. your last class, how many rounds of ammo did they shoot? Oh, they may have shot a, a little bit more. The, the class, I believe, called for 500 rounds total. And yep. as, as you're well aware, I don't use uh, rounds for filler in my classes. No, no, you don't. Um, no. I don't have you shoot just to shoot, just to take up time. Um, but the number of drills that we did and – we we uh, we hit the ceiling for the 500 rounds very easily. Hey, yes, um, we did. <laughs> so, uh, so, some people uh, we've always told folks, hey, if you want to shoot more, you bring more. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, John. Uh, I think it was the first CRG2 class that you taught. I forgot how long ago it was. And you, at the end of the first day, uh, asked everybody to check their ammo, and there was one guy in the class. That said, I brought 500 rounds and I'm on my second to the last box after the first day. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't you didn't ask him to do that, but he did it. <laughs> you know, it, it you 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 really can't. Like I said, if you want to shoot more, like I said, like I said some some call for you know some exercises uh, a three to five round burst. Right. And you say three to five round burst for some, that means ten to fifteen. For this guy, it yeah. did. For this so, yeah, guy, he, it did. Now, he, had, he really had a good time. He really did. But, yeah, his yeah. pistol was getting a little bit on the warm side. It was getting a little on the warm side. Yeah, I forgot what the heck he was shooting. But yeah, that, was uh, also the, that was also the course where we discovered that the compact uh, M&P from Smith & Wesson, he was using the full-size magazines. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it would occasionally have a malfunction only with the extended magazines. That only had, with the extended magazines, that's it, right. It, it had no uh, sleeve on it, putting the magazines in. And, um, you know, we'd heard people say, well, you can over-insert those. Well, you can't over-insert a double-stack magazine. You know, that, that that's a physical impossibility. But applying pressure to that magazine body, either right. either fore or aft, was causing problems, and right. uh, and and I, I I thought, man, that that's that right there was was worth seeing happen, and happening enough times where you could diagnose it and say, okay, that's what the problem is. Mm-hmm. So either you adjust your grip, or you invest in in magazine sleeves, or you use the standard length magazines. I've always been a big fan of use the magazines your pistol was designed to use. And I agree that's just with that my personal over opinion. Over ninety percent of the time, but like with yeah. a Glock, with a Glock forty three X, if you've got the Shield Arms magazines and you, yeah. and you swapped out your mag catch, and they're reliable, why wouldn't you use a fifteen round magazine as opposed to a ten? That's about the only exception I would make. But once again, if you go that route, you have to test that gear enough to know that it's going to work. Another exception I would make is I own two of the fabulous Shadow Systems pistols, and they work absolutely fine with either the Magpul or Glock magazines. I like the Magpul magazines. Um, yep. I, I use the Magpul magazines exclusively with my Gutter Snipe 26. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it gives me twelve rounds in the magazine, and they they've been flawless. Uh, and yeah. through through multiple rounds using standard pressure and plus P and plus B plus, they make good mags. They, they they do they make good magazines. Some folks have had some problems with their magazines and other pistols. I don't know the specifics around that. 
But I mean, quite honestly, you can take, you know, any firearm with, with any magazine, whether it be high quality or not, you still have to make sure that it's going to function correctly with your pistol. And Absolutely. That goes for ammo too. But, um, when do you want to get into uh, some of the things that I saw in the CRG2? Um, you know what? Actually, uh, we are about out of time because I have something I have to do uh, this evening. But why don't we do this? I really want to cover that. Uh, why don't we talk again in the very near future and do a part two? That sounds like a plan because I, I saw some things that that I think uh, would be eye opening for some people. Um, yeah, you, you hear people say that Glocks don't malfunction, or others laugh when they do malfunction. Um, but I, I noticed some things that you know, no matter how good your gear is, if you're not practicing correctly, if you're not holding the gun correctly, if you're not doing the things as you as you should. Then it's going to cause yeah. problems. It's going to it's going to cause you to, to it's going to cause to fight with your gear. Yeah, you want you don't want to be fighting with your gear. You want to fight your opponent, not your gear. So let's talk about that. I'm going to send you a text message um, either later this evening or tomorrow, and let's set up part two in the very near future. And I want you to talk about that. Before we sign off, uh, Bob, have you shot the Glock 40? The Glock 40? No, I've yeah, never Glock, shot a sorry. Glock. Glock 44. The Glock 44, I've also never shot. I've never shot a 40, and I've never shot a 44. The Glock 44 is the size of a Glock 19. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a Glock 19 holster. Yes, it, it does. It feels like a Gen 5 Glock 19 in the hand, mm-hmm. but it's 22 long rifle. Yeah, I've never shot one. I want to. I should have already bought one. I have not done that yet. Um, the reason I haven't is my my conversion kit I have for my third gen G19 is fabulous. But I have heard great things about G44s. I've had the conversion kit. I've used the Advantage Arms conversion kit for the Glo- mm-hmm. the, the, the LE conversion kit for the mm-hmm. 23 and 19 and the 32. 32, yes. 32, yes. 23, and 19. Yes. And it works very well if you use uh, CCI. CCI Blazer. Mini, um, CCI, no, Mini Mag. Mini Mag. CCI Mini Mags, yes. The, the round nose Mini Mags. Yes, correct. Uh, was able to shoot 100 or more rounds at a time in between cleanings. Worked fabulously. Um, I've shot mine more than 100 rounds between cleanings, but go ahead. What about the well, G44, though? It's phenomenal. Does it uh, shoot almost anything? Uh, any quality ammunition. I've yeah. run it with the Gila. I've run it with Golden Bullets. I've run it with the Mini Mags. Really? I've run it with the, um, oh, heck, uh, Norma. Norma makes a semi-auto uh, twenty-two round. Oh, yeah, yeah. Flawless. Um, it has a wider range of ammo that it, it, that it shoots well than the conversion. It really does. I, I was amazed at the reliability uh, using the non-bulk-packed ammo. Ah, okay. That's a good testimony for the Glock 44. Um, matter of fact, Cullen, who, who you, you know very well, I know Colin, yes. His opinion was <laughs> if you don't own and train with one of these, you just aren't too bright. I don't think he quite said it that way, but. No, it uh, was not said. <laughs> that, that, that was uh, words to that effect. That was a watered down <laughs> version of Colin, I know. My, my best friend in the whole wide world, <laughs> but if, you, if uh, you don't want an honest opinion, then don't ask him. I know. I love. I love that guy. Tell him I said hello. I will. And um, I'll be seeing him probably tomorrow for lunch. But uh, you talk about someone that, in, especially in force on force. Oh yeah. You've seen him. Yes, I have. I absolutely have. Well, John, thank you very much. Thank you. This is great stuff as always. Every time you come on the show, 
uh, look for a text message from me tomorrow, and let's get this next interview set up pretty soon. Oh, I do. I got. I mean, the, the next uh, interview that we do, it's going to take the entire interview to cover the stuff that I saw and that I want people to know about. Uh, well, take some notes. As, write as some. Running, write down some highlights. As far as running their gear. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it, it was. It was really. It, it, and I still say this today, and you've heard me say it before. If I teach a class and I don't learn something from teaching that class, mm-hmm. it's time for me to hang it up. Oh, man. You know what? That's a great ending point. And why don't you start with that on our next interview? I'd love to. All right, John. Thanks again. I appreciate you coming on and uh, continue success, my friend. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure as always. Uh, I appreciate your time and and I appreciate your audience. Have a good one, brother. You too, sir. Thanks. All right, brother. Uh, that was good stuff, man. Um, I got to run. I, I I still have some stuff to do tonight. But uh, what's your availability this weekend? I, I don't know. This weekend, after I close the shop, I may be heading on that 100 mile loop on the on the off road ride. Ah, uh, okay, what, what, okay. What I wanted to talk about. Thank you, John. As always, good stuff to say. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. I do plan on getting John back on for part two to talk about those malfunctions that he saw in the class. That that would be that's going to be a very interesting topic. So stay tuned in. I'm going to try to get that done within a week or two. Speaking of interviews, next week, I got a really big name that is going to be joining me, a big name in the firearms industry, for another interview. So that'll come out next week on Sunday. Please remember to support me on Patreon. I have a couple of sponsors. Concealment Solutions also sponsors this show. And, of course, Keeper's Concealment. But I think that the the support that I get from the listeners, that is the, that's the most important because that's the little extra that helps me dedicate the time, the resources, and everything to bringing you these great interviews and shows like this. So I would appreciate that. There's several customized videos and custom podcasts podcasts excuse me so check out my patreon page go to the show notes and you will see how to get there that's it folks thanks for tuning in to another episode of the handgun world podcast i'm bob main remember shoot straight shoot safe read your bible every day and i'll talk to you next week goodbye if they back me up